Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation on Sadducees, then and now. Scott, I got to say, I really enjoyed uh, getting to kick off our, our series, our last episode that we did um, with this series on kind of the contemporaries of Jesus then and now with these different Jewish sects that we have. Um, so before we jump into the Sadducees conversation, which I think is going to provide a, a lot of insight and I'm looking forward to, um, could you give a brief recap in case somebody didn't get a check, catch or be reminded of what we talked about with the Pharisees? Uh, yes, and it's uh, it's not easy to do a brief recap because I'm going to end up simplifying or ignoring. But uh, uh, just a couple observations. Pharisees have, have a bad history in Christianity, and the basic idea is if you call someone a Pharisee, you're calling them a hypocrite. Technically, a Pharisee is a person who belongs to a certain persuasion of the Jews. Uh, Josephus called it a hieresis or a sectarian group, a sect, a, a, a denomination, as it were. And they were very strict in observance of the law, but they were strict in their interpretation and following it. But the odd thing for us today is that while most people would see the Pharisees as hyper-strict Puritan types, um, in the first century, the Pharisees would have been seen as more progressive more democratic. They wanted to read the law and interpret practicing the law in such a way that everybody, or at least more people, could follow them. And they formed small group Bible studies and fellowship that really opened um, life, uh, religious life in a sense, observant life in areas outside Jerusalem to far more people. So, uh, that's a brief summary of the Pharisees. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He remained a Pharisee, according to Acts chapter 22. Right. He, he never really left the Pharisaic movement. Uh, and this is kind of hard, hard for Christians to comprehend, because they see Pharisees and Christians as totally opposite, but not for the Apostle Paul. He said, I am a Pharisee, not I was. Yeah. So... So that's uh, with the, that, j- just a brief recap, Chaz. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's helpful because I, it's hard to talk about um, one without the other in some respects because like we said earlier, we're talking about Sadducees today and um, the Sadducees group is really the, the other group other than the Pharisees that is the most prevalent in the New Testament and that Jesus seems to uh, interact with the most from surface level anyway. And so at, in some regards, they're kind of at odds a, a little bit, it seems. There's definitely distinctions. And so I don't know if you would say, like, are the Pharisees and Sadducees like like rivals maybe, like in the way of a, a Cubs-Cardinals type of rivalry? Or, or what's going on here between these groups? The Cubs have no rivals anymore, <laughs> Chaz. We are the World <laughs> Series champions from two years ago. Okay, so, uh, yes. <laughs> so that settled that quickly, I guess. <laughs> that's right. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, in some ways, are rivals. Uh, that's for sure. And um, and we'll get to this here in a minute. But they 
the Sadducees have a little bit more of a lockdown on the temple. The Pharisees have more populist um, connection, and they are far more popular. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees, when it came to the temple, had to cooperate more. And so uh, there was some cooperation, but there were also some very strict differences. So, you know, with that, I think we could probably launch into talking about the Sadducees. And um, yeah. is that all right with you? Yeah, yeah no, that sounds um, great. What do we need to know about them? Well, you know, the, this sort of thing, uh, we need to pay attention to what is called sources here. Where, where do we learn about the Sadducees? There have been some discussions at times as to whether some texts that survived from the ancient world were written by Sadducees. But so far as, as I can see in the scholarship and by specialists in, this field, in these fields, uh, I don't think that there is any compelling uh, conclusion or uh, any kind of consensus for sure that any surviving text from the ancient world is from the Sadducees, which leads to this conclusion that all we know about them is what other people said about them, and the other people who were setting things about them uh, were far from positive. So it's all sort of a distortion. It's the way we know about Nero. We know about yeah. Nero from people like Suetonius mm -hmm. and Tacitus, and uh, they were not fans. Uh, so th this is this is what happens with the with the Sadducees. We know about them from Josephus. We know about them from the New Testament, and maybe we know about them from the Dead Sea Scrolls. There is a text called 4QMMT that many people think uh, is an allusion to some Sadducees. I know a friend of mine who's a expert in the Dead Sea Scrolls. At one time, was quite convinced that this was a Sadducee text. The other side is that um, uh, sometimes the name Manasseh comes up in the Dead Sea Scrolls, say in the Pesher to Nahum, and some people think that that is an actual allusion to the Sadducees. So at best, we have some allusions. But Josephus, I want to talk a little bit about what Josephus says about the Sadducees, because he claims to have experienced them and known them, and, I, and I'm sure he did because he's connected, well-connected in Jerusalem. But in his book called The um, Antiquities, he says, the doctrine of the Sadducees is this, that souls die with their bodies, nor do they, the um, Sadducees, regard the observation of anything besides what the law enjoins them, for they think it an instance of virtue dispute to dispute with those teachers of philosophy whom they frequent. But this doctrine is received but by a few, yet by those still of the greatest dignity. But they are able to do almost nothing of themselves for when they become magistrates. Now, this is a very interesting point uh, because I said they had to cooperate uh, with the Pharisees. It says, as they are unwilling and by force sometimes obliged to be. They addict themselves to the notions of the Pharisees because the multitude would not otherwise bear them. Now, here's what's interesting. This is a little bit of a summary of the Sadducees. In his book called The Jewish War, um, he says that the Pharisees take away fate entirely, the idea that there's a, um, 
that things are in control by God, providence. We would call it Calvinism. And suppose that God is not concerned in our doing or not doing what is evil. And they say that to act what is good or what is evil is at men's own choice, and that the one or the other belongs so to everyone that they may act as they please. They take away a belief of the immortal duration of the soul. So this is this is the idea of resurrection mm-hmm. or immortality and the punishments and rewards in Hades. So they also deny hell. Mm-hmm. Now, here's another uh, one of the more interesting comments that uh, Josephus makes about the Sadducees is he says the Pharisees are friendly to one another and are for the exercise of concord and regard for the public. But the f- behavior of the Sadducees, one toward another, is in some degree wild, and their conversation with one another, with those of their own party, is as barbarous as if they were strangers. Uh, one translation said they are boorish, B-O-O-R-I-S-H. So the Sadducees don't believe in fate. Uh, they think everything is up to themselves. Um, everything is in, within our own power. And another side of... Uh, I will mention two more things. Josephus says that uh, they are able to persuade no one but the rich. So they are connected in Jerusalem with the wealthy and the landed sorts of people. So they're also, Josephus tells us, very rigid in judgment. But the other side of this is that they are connected to the temple. So this this is where we learn the most about the about the Sadducees from Josephus, yeah. and and he was no Sadducee. He he said he explored the Pharisees and the Essenes. It's mm-hmm. hard to know if he really did. Um, he was a um, he was a guy on the move, on the make, and he he made it pretty big in Rome eventually as a historian. So th- this is the sort of picture we get. We get just a little bit about the Sadducees in the New Testament. They oppose Jesus. Uh, Jesus opposes them. Uh, Jesus has quite an interaction with them in the last week on, uh, it says in Matthew chapter 22, that same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died and all, et cetera. All of a sudden now, whose wife will this woman be in the resurrection? See, they're trying to poke fun at Jesus's view of the resurrection. But it, it confirms what Josephus tells us that they didn't believe in the resurrection or immortality. So yeah. that's a basic summary, Chaz, from Josephus. Well, yeah, that's that's pretty fascinating. It so closely aligns to what you've described as being found in the New Testament, which I find interesting. I understand. So my next question w- would be um, versions of that are, are things that I've probably heard throughout the years and stuff, but I, I wonder, and I, I realize this might be kind of hard to get to because of their lack of their own text that you referenced and their own sources that, um, 
they're explaining their own own beliefs and reasoning. But I wonder with such a point like they're they're not believing in the resurrection and and those other points from Josephus that you mentioned. I, I wonder if you have any insight or ideas on what the reasoning may be that they um, found themselves as uh, agreeing to those points and and coming to those conclusions about those beliefs that they held. Yeah. Um, this, this is a good question. I, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, to me, uh, what we know about the Sadducees comes from people like the rabbis and Josephus and the yeah. Pharisees, etc. It's sort of like what uh, people who grew up in super conservative uh, <laughs> uh, science world of uh, young earth creationism, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's what they hear about people who believe in theistic evolution or evolution yeah. it, it's a total distortion of what they're what they actually believe mm-hmm. you meet someone who's an evolutionist you go man they're not nearly as crazy as I thought they were so <laughs> I, I would say that this is uh, uh, we, we have to um, we have to listen to what Josephus in the New Testament says but we also have to fill in the blanks mm-hmm. so l- let me say a few things about by the way uh, James the brother of Jesus was killed by Ananus. Um, uh, Ananus, uh, a Sadducee high priest in 62 AD. Uh, we read about this in, in, in Josephus as well. But let me, let me just start with a, a couple ideas about, about the Sadducees. The first thing I would say is that they are privileged. They are a wealthy group. They are landed. And so in this sense, I, I sometimes refer to them as the Kennedys, they're elitists. They are connected from the time they are born till the time they die. They are connected to upper class status people. Uh, you know, they're the ones who have the the location and the privilege in the city of Jerusalem when things are happening. I, I know I've been around situations where I say I'm teaching at a school and you have to know the power structures. You have to know who's connected to whom to realize that if you want something to happen, you've got to uh, you got to be me- dealing with the right people. Yeah, you got to know uh, people. <laughs> and I remember when I was teaching at Trinity. Uh, this is not a criticism so much as this is the way schools work. I always felt like I was on the outer circle. There were some of the professors who seemed to be in an inner circle, who had direct lines to the dean or to the president or provost, whatever it was, they they all seemed to know them and they seemed to be able to make things happen, whereas we waited for things to happen and we were informed. That's a bit the way the Sadducees were in Jerusalem. They were connected to political, religious, and economic power. The second thing I, I would say is that they were um, priestly. They were not just privileged, they were priestly in the sense that they are the ones who ran the temple, which means they ran the sacrificial system, they ran forgiveness system, they ran the atonement system, and uh, their rulings in the temple are the rulings that became law. Now, the Pharisees or the Essenes, I don't think so much the Zealots, but uh, let's say the Pharisees or the Essenes disagreed. This is this seems to be what happened to the Essenes. They got so mad yeah. about the interpretation of the Sadducees. Now, I'm making this up because we don't know if they were Sadducees when, they, when the Essenes broke free and went to Qumran. Yeah, but let's thing. just say that, this, yeah, the Sadducees had the rule. They got to make the rule, and they irritated the Essenes so much 
that they moved out and started their own hope for the apocalypse and some kind of destruction of the leaders of Jerusalem. Now, I want to emphasize, I don't know that the time of Jonathan Maccabeus, etc., cetera, uh, and we don't know who was actually running the temple at that time, but some people do think that that is about the time of the origin of the Sadducees. So, so we'll just use it as a generic idea. So they're privileged and they're priestly. The third thing is these are Bible people. Now, there is a, a long-standing tradition in the history of the church, in the history of interpretation, that the Sadducees believed only in the law or the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and therefore they didn't believe in the resurrection because the resurrection wasn't taught in the Pentateuch. It was taught in later books. All right. Now, this is a comfortable idea that is quite mistaken for a couple of reasons. Number one, Sadducees are running the temple, and if there's anything that happens in the temple, it is the reading of the Psalms. Mm. So there's no way that they avoid, uh, mm. only believed in what was found in the Torah or the Pentateuch. The second thing is, they clearly had their own interpretations of the law, and it wasn't that they disagreed with the Pharisees because the Pharisees believed in the writings and the prophets. It's that they disagreed with the Pharisees' interpretation of the Torah and the Pentateuch and the prophets. So they deny resurrection because they don't think that's the proper interpretation of Scripture. But they did, and they did deny angels, but there are angels in the Pentateuch. So... You can't really just say they believed only in the Pentateuch. And it, I don't think it is possible to be a first century Jew and to deny, the, let's say, the inspiration or the scriptural value of the prophets. So, so how did that idea come to be and, and become so prevalent? Because that's something I've definitely heard about the, the Sadducees, but it seems like you, you said there's some holes in that logic. Well— one of the things that you would have to say is that Josephus talks about them because it's not found in the law. All right, now that's that's true. But we know, for instance, uh, from the rabbinic writings that the Pharisees disputed the order of some things that were to happen in the temple, and they disputed how the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees disputed with one another uh, on the basis of texts, say, in Leviticus chapter 16 on how to perform proper incense. Uh, ceremonies. So they, they had they had disputes, uh, but I don't think that it would be fair. To, I mean, if, if they deny angels, it's not because they believe in the Pentateuch only. Mm -hmm. It's because they deny the traditions about angels that developed after the Pentateuch and after the prophets. So what I see in the Sadducees is their privilege, their priests, their Bible people, mm -hmm. But they also have a strong interpretive tradition that says, in a conservative way, if it's not connected to the Pentateuch, then I'm going to hold it in uh, with, with less authority. Uh, but this does not mean that they didn't believe in the interpretation or in the scriptural foundations that are found in the Psalms or the prophets. So sure. let's emphasize this. They... They focused on the Torah. Uh -huh. uh, they believed in the Psalms and the prophets, but they really disagreed with the Pharisaic and Essenes, but especially the Pharisaic interpretations of the Torah. Now, 
Here's what we know they denied. Here's four denials by the Sadducees. They deny the resurrection as it is taught by the Pharisees especially, but it seems to be a denial of the immortality of the soul. The second thing is they denied a developed angelology. The third is they denied uh, fate. And, and this is Josephus's Hellenistic Greek Roman interpretation language. And what it would mean is that they were not, <clears throat> excuse me, they were not Calvinists. They were more Arminians and they believed in human free will. And it was all up to what the humans decided. Uh, and this is this is a, an insight into their views. And I think most importantly, they denied the Pharisee, Pharisee approach to tradition. So here's what I would say. Four major things about the Sadducees. They were privileged. They were priestly. They were Bible-focused. And they were strict. Now, if I had to... Uh, find an analogy in our group today, yeah. in our world, in our churches today. Uh, it is easy to say the Pharisees are are people you don't like. Okay, mm -hmm. so we will often say the Pharisees are the fundamentalists, or the progressives say the evangelicals are the Pharisees. It is more accurate, and now this is going back in the ancient world, so we can't impose all our categories, but. The Pharisees would be more progressive, and the Sadducees would be less progressive conservative. So the Sadducees might be the more fundamentalist evangelical types, whereas the Pharisees would be more progressive types. Now, if you want to get some, some progressives irritated with you, call them Pharisees. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I suppose if you if you were to call evangelicals or fundamentalists, you're a bunch of Sadducees. They would say, "Oh, really? I don't. I don't well, who cares?" Yeah. Uh, so it's the word Pharisee that carries all the weight today. Unfortunately, it's become a slur for many people. Uh -huh. But technically, the Pharisees were were more open, were more tolerant, were more open to expanding interpretation so that the law became doable, practicable. For more people, so they were uh, they were probably perceived in the first century as the more liberal and the more progressive of the Jewish groups uh, that would have been known. Now I know that that's dropping a bomb for some people. Uh, the Sadducees would have been uh, they're a, a little bit different than anyone we would know. But I've been in church settings in church groups where it seemed to be that if you were born uh, to leaders, you were destined to become the pastor of a bigger church than people who started from the bottom and were not born to families who were well-known to others. Mm -hmm. So there's that sense of privilege with the Sadducees that is pretty much unlike a lot of what we have here. Although, if you are in a denomination that is a more state church, say the Anglicans, the um, Church of England, or if you're a Lutheran in Germany and you're connected to, let's say, a father who's a famous, famous leader in the Lutheran church, and his three brothers are all famous leaders, well, the next thing you know, you've got yourself in a pretty good position and you get a good job teaching at a major university. So there's that sense of privilege. 
They're also connected to the religious establishment so that there's that priestly dimension. But after that, I think it gets a little bit uh, wandering from our sense of privilege and elitism more toward a strict interpretation of Scripture, very tight. Uh, so if you would imagine yourself in a really strict Lutheran group or a really strict Presbyterian group or a really strict Baptist group, sure. uh, you, could, you could see some connections with Sadducees. But overall, Chaz, I would emphasize that the Sadducees are the more conservative mm -hmm. and the Pharisees are the more progressive. That seems fair. So I wonder, you brought this up earlier about Jesus's interaction with the Sadducees. I wonder if you were to look at um, the problem of Jesus, because I bet that's kind of how they viewed um, this wandering teacher and prophet kind of <laughs> figure that was a bit of a, a thorn in their flesh. If, if you were to describe how they viewed Jesus and the... Um, the, the problem that he kind of created in their world, how do you think that they would describe it? Or why well, were they think, so upset with Jesus? <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the Pharisees would have seen Jesus flouting their hallowed and sacred interpretations of Scripture that they observed with, with rigor on food laws and table fellowship and, um, and these sort of things. I think with the Sadducees, would have seen Jesus as a little bit of a threat because he had all these followers, and uh, a bumpkin from Galilee with a bunch of followers. He's a bit of a populist movement. But the Sadducees have control of the temple, and they basically, in alliance with the Romans, and it's, there's not that many Romans around, we've got to remember this, in alliance with the Romans, they have control of the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus is, he may be a big, a big, uh, a big strawberry up in, up in Galilee, but in Jerusalem, they've got tight control, they have power, and they're the elite group, and he's not going to do a thing there. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think they would have seen Jesus as a non, a non-threatening little threat, mm -hmm. um, a flea to swat. Uh, they could easily dispense with him. However, they knew that their the Pharisees uh, also had some disagreements with him, so they would have allied with the Pharisees on some of these things. But more importantly, is Jesus seems to have had uh, a populist audience who was in his corner. And there could have been a, a bit of a popular uprising in getting rid of Jesus too violently or too quickly or too easily. So the, the last week reads uh, by as leaders connected to the temple, um, Romans connected to those who were connected to the temple, uh, walking very carefully and lightly around Jerusalem, seemingly trying to make sure that they don't offend any more people than they have to, but they can put this man away pretty easily because of their structures and power. So uh, I would say they looked at Jesus significantly differently than did the Pharisees, who were much more, the Pharisees, much more integrated into the no life of ordinary Jews in sure. Galilee and Judea, whereas the Sadducees are 
you know, they're they're in positions of power in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And they're not too worried about what's going on in the cornfields of Nebraska and Oklahoma and the wheat fields of Oklahoma. Just just not a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it would kind of be like some uh, somebody from the sticks, like you said, a country pumpkin or something coming to the Capitol and saying, uh, you, we will destroy this Capitol and then it, I will yeah, be rebuilt yeah. in three days. It'd be like, yeah, right. You know, give me a break here. I think that's exactly how many Sadducees would have approached Jesus. And they mm -hmm. probably had some meetings of who is this guy and mm -hmm. what's what's the story with him? Mm -hmm. Why? Why is this such an issue? So uh, he would have been an, largely an unknown prophetic figure from uh, a backwoods territory up in Galilee that we don't really need to worry about. Sure. So one of the things that just kind of came to mind here is the concept of the Sanhedrin. Could you talk a little bit about maybe what that group comprised of? Was that both Pharisees and Sadducees or mostly Sadducees? What is that? What is this um, the the group that is referenced in the New Testament called the yeah. Sanhedrin. Uh, we don't know what we'd like to know or as much as we'd like to know about the Sanhedrin, but as a general rule, the Sanhedrin is going to be perceived as a official legislative body of experts in Jerusalem made up of principal figures and leaders. And it seems in, this, in the history of Judaism from the 2nd century B.C. all the way into the 2nd and 3rd century A.D., that uh, it, well, once Jerusalem is destroyed, the Sanhedrin uh, is destroyed. You, uh, it seems to be, uh, go a little bit back and forth between Sadducees and Pharisees about who's got the larger set of uh, power sticks. And uh, the Pharisees had the people on their side, the Sadducees, had power and money and connections to Rome a little bit more. So therefore, it kind of goes back and forth. And I think you'd have to say that it was sort of like the Democrats and the Republicans in Washington, D.C., uh, having to learn to cooperate with one another, compromise with one another, while all the time fighting with one another, <laughs> protecting their own interests. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the only way to see it. And um, I, uh, I don't lecture on the Sanhedrin. If I did, I, it was 30 years ago, and I don't remember uh, lecturing on the Sanhedrin. But I remember studying the Sanhedrin pretty intensively when I was doing my Ph.D. stuff because I was working on the Pharisees. And, and uh, I think that the, it's a pretty standard conclusion that you find in, in, in books, say, like E.P. Sanders' book on Judaism, that it's a bit of a negotiated power. Uh, the Pharisees probably didn't have the numbers at times, but um, the Sadducees, Josephus explicitly says, once they get, they become magistrates, and he could be talking about Sanhedrin there, they had to go along with the Pharisees because the Pharisees had the people on their side. That, I think, is pretty conclusive. Sure. Well, that's interesting. So if we were to look at Jesus's interaction with the Sadducees and what he kind of calls them on and challenges them with— how uh, how should the way Jesus interact with the Sadducees challenge the church today? Or is there any way that it does, do you think? Well, uh, I, I, Jesus' primary interaction is with the Pharisees, uh, not the Sadducees. So sure. I don't think there's a whole lot to go on except to say that Jesus 
Jesus critiqued power when it wasn't used to empower others. He critiqued power when it wasn't used for goodness and justice and mercy and love and wisdom. So Jesus would have looked at the Sadducees with a bit of a cynical eye, knowing that they've got power and they're not always using it for the best of purposes. So I think Jesus' critical prophetic stance toward the Sadducees can be paralleled by the necessity of Christians in the United States never thinking that those who have power are the ones who are always right, Mm. but rather challenging those who are in power to do what is right, to walk justly, and to treat people fairly uh, in law and in in actual life and practice. So I I would say that Jesus um, had a prophetic stance toward the Sadducees that we can learn from um, as long as we don't just go around stereotyping uh, everybody in power or all the Sadducees. So Yeah, that's good. Well, thanks, Scott. I really enjoyed this yeah. conversation on Sadducees. I wonder if you got any um, anything else that we need to know about the Sadducees before we go? Well, I don't, I don't have uh, others, but um, one of the things that impressed me as I was kind of getting ready for this session, Chaz, is the uh, the unfortunate result that the only thing we know about them with confidence we can make some guesses and then think we know more, but with confidence is what other people have said about them. Mm. And, and maybe we could learn from that uh, of how, how others might talk of us and learn from the fact that others, if they were talking about us, might be quite critical sure. or might be quite jaundiced or distorting in what, what is actually going on mm-hmm. and help us as a result of sort of an innate sympathy thinking, I wish they wouldn't describe me that way, Mm. that how am I describing others? You know, um, I like to, I have friends who are reformed and I, I like to tell them I disagree with them and they like to tell me that. But I also like to emphasize, yes, I do disagree with the reformed. I do disagree with the Kuyperian, but doggone it. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And more often than not, they're very serious in their commitment, and I need to respect their serious commitment, their serious thinking, and hope that they will treat me the same way. When we do this sort of thing, we end up making uh, the church a better place and our relationship with other Christians uh, much healthier. Absolutely. And are able to accomplish more, too, and, and yeah. focus on the main things instead of only talking about what you disagree about. So Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so next week, okay. are we going to talk uh, Essenes or Zealots? Which one let's do you want to Let's hit? do Zealots next week, Okay. Jazz. All right. I like, to, I like to take a shot at the Zealots. All right. Well, what, what's a, a soundbite cliffhanger to, to leave people with as we go? The Zealots have more parallels in our activist political culture today Hmm. than Pharisees or Sadducees. Hmm. 
Wow, that'll be interesting. Okay. We'll look forward to yeah. getting to talk about it next time. So, okay. Thank you for joining us, listeners. Uh, we're always privileged to have you. Um, if you want to make sure to not have to worry about getting this next episode, easiest thing to do would be to subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. But we're so grateful to have you join us and hope you're having a, a wonderful day. And we look forward to joining you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 